The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We are back. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back. Anything new, exciting? (laughs) No, but thank you so much to everyone for all the love on our residential schools episode. The response has been amazing, so I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, I've been just kind of sitting back and watching it because I don't do the social media thing, really. (laughs) It's just so cool to watch. Yeah, gotten a lot of messages personally and on the podcast page and just a great response to that uh last week so uh thank you the conversation doesn't end here we're gonna keep it going maybe not today specifically but um we will continue to talk about that kind of stuff and stay tuned but what are we talking about today miss katie well (laughs) i can actually say that this was kind of a a case a case suggestion from you in a way because (laughs) I picked it out of the book you just gave me. Um, (laughs) So I, so for anyone who's listening, Olivia had this book that she gave me and she was like, it's not really my style, but I think you'll like it. I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And the other day I was just like flipping through it and I'm like, Oh, these are mini stories. Okay. 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 Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) So now I'm really into it. Found this really interesting Canadian story and I really wanted to just pick a random Canadian story. Oddly enough, there's some discussion of LGBTQ related content in it, although I wasn't planning that. Yeah. But, yes, we are going in a different direction. We are going to head east. We're going to talk about two young men. It's going to be great. Well, not great, but you know what I mean. Side note on that book, though. We should just tell everybody how we met. Okay, so we haven't seen each other more than, like, 30 seconds in, like, I want to say two years, but I feel like I'm being, I'm exaggerating. That's dramatic. It's really dramatic. It feels like just over a year. It feels like five years. Anyway, uh, Katie was driving close-ish to me, so we met up to exchange something, and she exchanged or gifted me a big, beautiful box of gifts, and I, in turn, gave her a book of work to do. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, here is a bunch of beautiful things for you to enjoy, and she goes, here is some homework. Here's a book of cases to research. Have fun. <laughs> but it was great because I was kind of lacking some inspiration to just make a choice, really. And then so when I was flipping through this book and found this one case, although there's a bunch in here that I'm really interested in, yeah, I saw this one and it was Canadian and it just kind of caught my eye. So 
Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, All right. Do we? Do you have any housekeeping? Just before we start, as usual, if you don't already, you can follow us on social media at Podcast by Proxy. We're most active on Instagram. Um, hit the like or follow button on whatever platform you're listening because that's super helpful for us. <laughs> I don't think I've plugged it in a while, but please, if you would love to, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Is that what it's called? I'm so bad at my own job. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Podchaser, but that's all. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So anyway, let's get into this. Yes. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about two young men in the Toronto area, Robert Dickey Hovey. Now, I saw and heard multiple pronunciations of his last Isn't name. Isn't it Richard? Um, what did I say? Robert? Robert. Oh, my God. I did this earlier. I kept writing Robert. <laughs> I don't know why Robert is stuck in my head. I was just like, I'm pretty sure that Dickie is not short form of Robert. It is Richard. Yeah, it's, it's a no, short form. No, you're 100% correct. <laughs> <sighs> I'm annoyed with myself because when I was writing these, I'm like, Robert? Fuck. Richard? And I kept doing it. It happens. Ugh. I'm just going to restart. I feel like you should just leave it how it was because it was funny. Fuck it. It is what it is. <laughs> anyway. 1967, young ambitious musician uh, Richard, but as we just said, went by Dickie. So we're going to call him Dickie for the purpose of the story. Because again, I like to give the victim their name back. And the piece of shit can be called by their last name. Yeah. That's just what I like to do. Mm-hmm. You do, you guys. Born May 14th, 1950. He grew up, for all intents and purposes, very little record of his life at the time. Just that he loved music. He always wanted to be a musician. It was his passion his entire life. 1718. It's a little blurry when exactly he goes. So he heads off to the big city of Toronto from Frederick Train. From Fredericton. He's from Fredericton, guys. Fredericton. (laughs) Frederick. He's from Fredericton. Okay. Now, I forget now. Is that in Nova Scotia? New Brunswick. New Brunswick? It's in New Brunswick. Okay. It's in the, I was on the right side of the country. That's a start. Yes. Okay. My uh, geography, for anyone listening, is horrendous. Right. You probably would beat me at a game of geography trivia any day. (laughs) Anyway, he doesn't think he's going to get his record deal in New Brunswick, so he heads off to Toronto, where he goes to settle in a small hippie village or that's his goal because he has heard that there are many musicians up and coming comedians and whatnot in the area prior to leaving his hometown he was in a band called teddy and the royals so as soon as he got to toronto he wanted to find new footing and a new band to be in i love the name teddy and the royals right it made me think of our hockey team though like just imagine the victoria royals are like his backup band fair So it's just like him and the Royals. I mean, yeah, it just felt weird. Katie got weird about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it just seemed like a lot of people to have on stage. That's all. Really does. So he finds a new band? He does. Yes. So 
he ends up settling in Yorkville Village, Toronto. So like we said, it was super hip and like up and coming and very artsy. You could just find anyone there. It was a very creative community. So once he settled there, he was able to fill in with Mina and the Birds. Also, every band seems to be like something and the. So I don't know if that was just like a 60s thing or a trend. Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, I love Darius Rucker. Oh, yeah. Brandon's a huge Darius fan. He makes me play it all the time. Oh my god, me and him. Again, once this whole COVID shit's over. Oh yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Olivia has, as you know, had a boyfriend the entire time we've been on this podcast. And prior to that. <laughs> and prior to, and I do not know this guy. You met once I've met him in like parking twice lot. in passing. Yeah, but it was like hey, I can only meet you from six feet apart. I have a mask on. And all we did was said, here's Olivia's phone. Can you take a picture of us? And then I'm like, okay, bye. Okay. Anyway. Truth. He's working uh, with this band. He's filling in when he can. He's getting comfortable in his environment. And one week after his birthday, he's never seen again. Oh. Right? New to town. And young. And very young and from what it sounds like based on what he was trying to achieve in his life very social very outgoing so he was out and about well there's no like cell phones or anything at this point so no does anyone really notice well like cctv isn't a common thing security cameras are very low quality like yeah there's so many different factors to it Come December 17th, 1967, at Balsam Park, near Cobaconk, Toronto, uh, a hunter comes across the remains that we come to find out later to be of a young man. Five months later, on May 15th, 1968, one day after Dickie's 18th birthday, a farmer found the remains of another young man near the bottom of a hedge at the property line uh, near Schomburg, Toronto. So you'll have to note that None of these actually end up happening really in the city of Toronto. Yeah. They're always in like an outside suburb around where all these bodies are found. So both men are found to be tied with their hands behind their back. They're nude. They have no ID, no indicating factors of who they are at all. Their clothes are not with them. And one of them is wearing just a pair of sneakers. So they're quite confident this is the same person committing these crimes, obviously. Um, They're just dumping them out of the car while they're naked? It seems like he's taking these men, and uh, I mean, we'll get to it in a second, but police believe they might be part of, like we were going to say, like the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. So that's why maybe they look like consensual interactions, like just two people walking off or going somewhere together. But... There are some eyewitnesses later that help tie some information together. Okay. Hmm. I There's a bit more information later on, Wild. so we'll get to that. All right. Yeah, and I had never heard of this, and the person that they think... Well, obviously, you know it's a cold case in the end, but the person they suspect is guilty of killing okay. the people we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. he has multiple other crimes on his record that I'll tell you about in a minute. So they believe he could have actually been Canada's first serial killer. Potentially. Good, good, good. Yeah. 
So the plot just kept thickening as I was reading about this. Right. And it just, I really thought it was just going to be, you know, yeah. when I found it in the book, it was just about Dickie. Then I find out there's another person and another and ah. another and another. And I just. Katie fell down the rabbit hole. <laughs> kept going. Yeah. She fell down. Hard. It. Yeah. Don't come back from Hard. That Never. No. Right. So police were confident, like we said, that both are connected. They're far too similar. Uh, one man is tied with a 11-inch piece of twine or string. The other is tied with his own shoelace. They both appear to be sexually motivated. The men are, so to speak, disposed of in the same fashion. Yeah. They look sim- like similar crime scenes, even. And because they are only five months apart, it was on police's radar still. Even though they weren't able to do much testing with this, because the technological advances just weren't there yet. So, thank God this is one of those police departments that were like, let's take care of this. This could be important one day. They pristinely store the remains in airtight sealed containers in the Toronto morgue for future review. They just have this gut feeling that this is solvable. And is this OPP? On. Yes. Yeah. I just yeah. recently stumbled across information for a different case that I was reading about that OPP or yeah. police. Yeah. They don't close cases. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure you'll they... get into that, but that's, that's like so cool to me that they do not close a case until it is solved. So it will never like quote unquote go cold because it will always stay open. That's so cool. Yeah, like, even this case, they're confident to even put a name out there, to attach a name to it who they believe is the suspect. They're not scared to do so. They don't have the evidence. But yes, to this day, this case is still considered open, which is amazing. That's cool. You're talking the 60s. You don't see that too often. No, not at all. And especially at this time, I think, to Canada's disadvantage... There's a lot of times where we see that evidence was just thrown away. Mm-hmm. I do think more so in the States, I actually hear of evidence being held onto. And maybe that was just because they knew the technology was coming. Or maybe there was more information out about it. But I just am so proud that that information oh. and those remains were there. Was, the technology yes. came. Ancestry.com. She's going to get you. Oh. <laughs> Wait until you hear about the people they decide to bring in later. They are amazing. Okay. I just love them. They're crazy. I'm here for it. So, again, this time, no technology available for them to utilize. There's no indication of who these guys are. Both cases start to go cold, so to speak. They reach out to the public for any information, any indication of who the men could be, any suspicious activity in either surrounding area that may be helpful, no matter how small. You know the drill. Right, because they're just John Doe's. 100%. At this point, they are essentially just close to skeletal remains at this point as well. Like, it's six months for one of them. And one of them is much more recent at the time. But yeah, five months out in the weather and just... In the elements. In Toronto. (laughs) Oof. Yeah. Those are nasty elements. Real nasty. Yeah. So, pan forward 40 years. We still do not have this case solved. Oh. 2006. Four the case gets r- decades. Four decades. That's a lot of decades. It's a lot. Okay, 2006. Sorry. And it's going. a lot, I feel like, 
to put information out again and have people be watching that specific information and connect the dots for how quickly you'll see some of this comes together because it's so crazy. Okay. Bonkers. Damn, all right. Yeah. So 40 years later, the OPP decides to, for all intents and purposes, reopen the case. And for them, that just means they're going to put resources into it, re-broadcast the information, and allocate resources to it. They offer a $50,000 reward leading to any information to identify or, or solve the case or lead to an arrest. And then with, like, again, uber amazeballs amount of time... They actually rope in this other lady, and she is one of the best forensic pathologists that we have available within Canada. She's so cool, like goals. She keeps two body bags in her car just in case someone's like, beep boop, beep boop, I found bones. She's like, like, I'm on my way. She like Temperance Brennan from the show Bones? Yes. Yeah, that's goals. Oh, she's just... She's just That's it. super badass. Yeah. Like I said, she keeps body bags in her car yeah. just to be like on call, ready to go. Yeah, we stand you, so, ma'am. We love you. Yeah, we're so here for it. We support you, you. We see you. Thank you for your Thank service you. and your brains. And just for being so prepared. Yeah, I appreciate a woman that's prepared. To keep some casual totally. body bags. I'm so here for it. Just in case. Correct. This uber prepared woman is Kathy Gruspier. She was very familiar working with police. She was, like I said, a world-renowned forensic pathologist. She had a continued education and specialized in how bones were placed, how they got to a location, and what types of tools were used to manipulate or damage them. Damn. Yeah. So not only is this lady a complete boss in her workplace, she's a single mom. She's on call for work 24-7. She's still killing it. She worked with the United Nations and won a NATO medal for her work in Kosovo. Damn. She's also won a Canadian Peacekeeper Service Medal. Okay. Hold on. She has a law degree and she teaches as a laboratory professor in medicine and pathobiology at the University of Toronto in Mississauga. Kathy, I need to work a lot harder. She's like 14 people in one. Yeah, literally. Okay. Well. I, I feel great about myself right now. My laptop is judging me. I'm judging myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do it all the time anyway. Hey, y'all. I'm Christina. And I'm Mary. And we are the Southern Sisters and co-hosts of the new podcast, True Crime Down Yonder. Each week, Christina and I discuss the creepiest, weirdest, unsettling true crime cases and mysteries of the Deep South. We also cover the paranormal ghost stories and Southern myths that'll give you full body chills. Goosebumps. So join us on Fridays to get your true crime fix with a morbid comical twist. You can listen for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope y'all will listen and subscribe. Bye, Bye, y'all. So now that we know who Kathy is and what she's capable of, which is everything, anything, (laughs) we get to find out about her research and findings about these bones because she was totally on board to help with this case immediately she wanted to find these boys just as bad in her findings she was able to identify that both men were in their teens she was able to also identify their height and some other facial features one of the men was between 15 and 18 years of age she thinks he was five foot three 
and had been, like we said, dead approximately six months at the time that his body was located or remains. She also was able to tell some odd feature about his body is that he had a 13th vertebrae and a 13th rib rather than 12. So he had just like a baker's dozen of like ribs and vertebrae. So, yeah. Now, unless you had been, like, x-rayed and your parents knew that, it would be, like, a weird thing. But if your parents knew that about you and it was broadcast, you could be like, that's my kid. You'd know right away. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. The other guy was also in his late teens. He stood about five foot six. They also brought in world-renowned forensic artist named Pete Thompson. And he was able to use clay on top of the actual skulls to recreate what the boys would look like. And eventually, they were actually broadcast on a press conference to illustrate what the young men would look like at the time that they went missing in the hopes of triggering a family member's recollection. Prompt some type of tip. That is so wild and also really cool. Yeah, uh, the... I feel like I'm on an episode of Bones right now. That's what I feel like. Yeah, I would say this Were they bad? So were they really bad? And today they're like kind of creepy looking, but considering what technology they had at the time, they're amazing. So if that makes sense, should and I we will look? post a photo of them. Should I go? Look? Oh, I actually have the book right here. If you want me to just like show oh, it on the camera, it looks so like a horrifying Ken doll. Yeah, are these the ones that you see? Uh, hold on. Yes. Yeah, and you'll notice that one of them has a gap in his teeth and the other one doesn't. So the one with his gap in his teeth, they uh, will come to find out in a minute, but that's Dickie. Okay. And the other one is, um, well, we'll find out in a minute. I feel like, like you said, it's probably, like, incredible for the time because they actually don't look that bad. And I feel like if you knew that person and the features were accurate enough, You'd probably know, but, like, yeah, in today's time, they're just kind of terrifying. The thing is, there's skulls underneath it. Yeah. Like, the clay is just on top of it, so oh, it does have a vi- <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were just a mold. My voice cracked. No. I'm horrified. It actually, the way they worded it, it made it sound like he literally took clay and molded around the skull to get skull's correct structure so like the eye sockets the cheeks can you pick me up i don't want to be here anymore you're at your own house i know i want to go to my mom's house (laughs) no i'm just kidding they are but could you imagine being like one of the people like they're setting up did they work careful there's a skull in that did they work and be like yeah okay so at this point, Dickie's brother sees the press conference and instantly thought that that looked like his brother. And like I said, we'll post photos of the recreations for Insta- on the Instagram. So at Podcast by Proxy, go there right now and check it out. Yeah. Because you need to see them while you're listening to this. Truth. Um, again, to me, they're a little weird, but for the time, amazing. They just look like kind of unusual claymation, which is essentially all they are. But they're still an amazing resource to have at the time. <laughs> And honestly, if it worked, like, it worked. 
Yeah, exactly. Police immediately sent officers to go collect DNA from his siblings to test against the DNA that they were able to pull from the remains. And so his his brother Kevin and both sisters, Marcia and Carolyn, both gave blood samples. And ding, 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 just a month after the press conference, they get confirmed matches that... Sorry, my chair is going to squeak. That's fine. It's him. And he's identified. So that, yeah, so that's quick then. That's so fast. Yeah, for one month. And considering lab tests and getting DNA moved around and contacting people, I think a month is extremely quick. Considering they've had these remains for 40 years, I would say so. Right? That's crazy. Totally. But the beautiful thing about this is that once it's confirmed, Dickie's remains are instantly sent back home so that he can be laid to rest and his family can finally have that closure. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad they got that. I believe both of his parents were dead at the time. By the time it was solved, so that's unfortunate, but at least all his siblings were able to commemorate him and lay him at rest. Yeah, no, totally. I was going to ask you that if I, well, I wasn't going to ask. I was going to say, I assume just based on the timeline that potentially his parents have passed. So that's sad. But yeah, like you said, at least his siblings have some closure and the rest of the family. Exactly. Yeah. They can at least relay that information through the family and get that peace of mind. Hold on. I got to put down this book because I just keep touching it and it's making so much noise because it's got like a funny Mac cover on it. Mm-hmm. Anyway... A few years after Dickie's story came out as solved, they re-aired a special on him to commemorate it and just bring attention to it, hoping to also show the alternate sculpture and see if there was any new leads on it. And lo and behold, a lady named Pauline calls and says that she's confident that's her brother Eric. So Eric Jones was 18, and he left his hometown of Knollville, Ontario, just like Dickie, to move to the big city of Toronto, where he lived with his aunt for a month, and then he found his own place. He got a job as a dishwasher at a local coffee shop. Well, in April of 1967, he just fades off. No one hears from him. He's just gone. To the lead investigator, Dave Quigley, he had reason to believe that these men, again, were both targeted, and potentially these did start off as consensual interactions and seemed like someone maybe took advantage of the situation. There was no sign of a struggle reported, like, that anyone saw. No one saw anyone being abducted, pulled into vehicles, um, drugged, anything like that out at bars. It is worth mentioning that in the summer of 1967, two other young men were sexually assaulted. They got away. They were fine. But they were attacked still, which is really scary and devastating. Yeah, so I wonder if there was a predator of some sort lurking around. Now, do we know, is the village or the area where uh, Dickie was, you know, where it's very artsy, hippie, that kind of area, is that near the gay village in Toronto? Um, They did say that at the time it was very... Uh, like welcoming to the LGBTQ community. Okay. So I don't know distance proximity wise how close it was. Okay. However, I do know that they were very welcoming, inviting, and accepting. Yeah. So okay. I would have to double check, but maybe I'll pull up a little map of that on Google and we'll. Honestly, post I that. think that the gay village in Toronto technically got got established around that time anyway. So it could have just been it a, may an not. A, it could have just been an area where yeah, all those 
types of people were together, but maybe not like what we know it as to be now. I was more just, I was more curious than anything. Oh, fair. I'm actually just going to Google Toronto Gay Village and see if it happens to mention the actual like community name, because it could just be Yorkville or one of the ones we've mentioned. So I'm just curious. Church in Wesley. Oh, so it looks like it's just a quick note. Dickie's parents did submit a missing persons report for him, or they did call one in, because they just stopped receiving letters from him all of a sudden in the 60s. Right. And Dickie was, like, 17, 18 at the time, so the police were like, oh, he's, like, an adult, he's doing his own thing, don't worry about it, he's a boy, you know, he's fine. You'll see him on TV when he's famous. Yeah, Come famous on. for all the wrong reasons. Ugh. God. Lord. And this goes for Eric's family, too. Yeah. They were sending letters to him at his aunt's house, and all of a sudden, one of the letters they sent to his aunt's got sent back and said, like, address not in use right now. So, like, no one lived there, so it got returned to sender. And so that prompted them to kind of do, like, a wellness check. So they call, and they find out that when the police go there and they reach out to the aunt that the aunt had actually moved from Toronto to Montreal after Eric moved out of her house. So we actually don't really know how long their letters were going unanswered because we don't know when he would have stopped picking up mail there potentially after she had left town. So it's very difficult to say actually exactly when Eric went missing. Right. So that was just kind of another dead end when they finally started to find more and more information. Huh. Yeah. Eyewitnesses reports state that they did see a large, muscular black man driving a light-colored or blue Corvair. Okay. I had to look up what it was. Turns out the Corvair is happens to be our smoking gun in this case because police had been looking at a list of local sex offenders already, and when they cross-referenced it with this vehicle and knowing now the race of a suspect potentially... Right. It was much easier for them to now kind of like triangulate in on somebody. And they did just that. They found someone who matched that description with that exact vehicle. Oh, damn. Um, yeah. Bingo. I got the winning card here. Yeah. So his name's James Henry Greenridge. Okay. No. James Henry Greenidge. Okay. It's so annoying. It's like Greenridge without the R. So yeah. it's Greenidge. It's just annoying. It's just another annoying thing about this guy. (laughs) To add to the long list. You didn't have enough? A little bit about him or his rap sheet, we'll say. 1955, he was jailed for raping a 14-year-old girl and assaulting her. He served five of a 10-year sentence. Ugh. And in... Yeah, okay, you're going to be really frustrated, like we always say about the sentences in this. Ugh. Because this was still at a time where every sentence was kind of a standalone. Yeah. There was no three strikes. There was no... Ugh. So frustrating. He serves five of the ten years, and he's let out. In 1967, he murdered a 17-year-old boy and dumped his body in North Toronto just after that. He moved on to stabbing a 21-year-old. Stop it! No joke. And the 21-year-old that he attacked... It was a young man, he got his throat and chest, um, and he left him to die in a field, essentially. Now, there is varying reports that a lot of these young men were sex workers as well, but that wasn't 100% approved, and again, I just 
don't want that to be what everyone hangs on. Yeah. But there is, there was more confirmation in regards to the 21-year-old that he was a sex worker. They did leave together and it, an interaction went bad. And so like, the 21-year-old man was able to get away and he did survive. Like he crawled like a hundred feet or something oh and gosh. people found him and yeah. But he was the perfect person that they needed because he was able to associate that person with that car and could identify him. Yeah. So great. And associate him with a similar type of crime. Yeah, he could speak to what type of attack he experienced yeah, from this guy exactly. and how it led to it. It was consensual because the impression was that when this young man told him how much he was going to ask for, for whatever. Yeah. I, I actually don't know what they were going to do, but it sounds like he asked for like 20 bucks or something sure. for something. I'm assuming like a hand job or a blow job, whatever. An exchange of services. Yeah, apparently that's what set him off, and he loses his shit on him. I don't order a pizza and then get mad when they tell me the total. Yeah, and I mean, we've said it before on this podcast, but you should be uh, able to do your job safely no matter what your occupation is. Um, Yes. Yeah. I do, and I think we agree. You know, minor drug offenses and sex work should be decriminalized. They are a waste of taxpayers' money. Yeah. And they honestly make people's lives a lot harder than they need to be, I think, a lot of times for minimal offenses. And then we can get into that later. We can focus on pieces of shit like this. Exactly. Maybe put our money into stronger sentences. Mm -hmm. Reevaluating some of these laws that need some little sprucing up, guys. Mm -hmm. Just my opinion. So, what happens after he murders and does all these things? Like, well, because the 21 year old, and I. Sorry to keep calling him that, but a lot of these people were remained anonymous yeah. because they either were asked to, um, because certain cases are still open, or because they were minors. Yeah. So he was able to, as we said, identify him and link him to the crime. So he was then charged with manslaughter and attempted murder, and he served a little under 10 years in a minimum security prison. <laughs> and I will say, everybody that... Uh, reported in or gave any information on him said that he was a model prisoner he was a joy to have around yeah. and if and you know he he was eligible for parole at a time maybe he could get out yeah yeah super they were actually super great that. super great guy for sure 100 percent. 10 out of 10 top notch yeah. quality traits yeah cool Oddly enough, we are actually almost done. This is going to be like a really short one because okay. this case didn't have much information, but that is fair. that's okay. We have... We've had a lot of long ones lately. I was going to say, I feel like I personally <laughs> have given everyone enough, so a short guy that's might fair. be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're still going to be 45 minutes, so it's not that short. <laughs> Another young person was killed shortly after... Uh, he was let out of prison. There's literally no evidence to tie him to that one. However, the circumstances are very similar. Police believe it is the same, and they will be actively searching for any ties. Guilty. Following? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Come on. Well, and... I mean, uh... There were other... 
scenarios that I read about or heard about, but a lot of them were either not confirmed, he wasn't charged, so I was hesitant about putting them in. Yeah. Even, there was one that said that he had a 14-year-old boy come over to his house and he gave him laced tea, and then when the boy woke up, he was in the middle of being sexually assaulted. Like, this man has just been doing horrible things. Yeah. For decades. Yeah, so I, I was going to say, like, I, uh, I'm i a believer in rehabilitation. I believe that people Same. can be re- rehabilitated. I believe um, that people have the ability to not re-offend um, or repeat offend. However, these types of crimes and this pattern, I do not feel that way about this man. Same. There's just certain, and we've said it before. Yeah, there's, there's certain people and certain crimes and patterns of how they're committed that you're just like, this isn't gonna stop. No, and I mean I'll just say it right now because it's later in my. It's like the last thing here in a minute, but the parole board actually said to him that, like in quotes, like your violence escalates with every crime, mm-hmm. and that alone we could never let you out on. Yeah. He's been up for parole multiple times. Yeah. And he's never gotten approved. In 2006, 2014, I think. Anyway, once he got out on parole, he uh, changed his names to James Gordon Henry. So not only did he just pick three first names, he still has to register with all three because he's a hot turd in society. Yeah. He moved to Manitoba thinking he would get a fresh start, and he is now serving a life sentence for raping and murdering a 24-year-old woman. Stop. Yeah, and it was in Vancouver, and she was a young sex worker that he had picked up, um, raped her and beat her to death in 1981. It's just, it's, like, devastating. So. And still to this day. Yeah. What? I no, you were. I think you were getting there. I was just gonna ask, like, so he's not. He's never been actually linked to these. The twenty-four-year-old woman. He was like charged. It was proven. So that's what in a life sentence for now. No, not those one. I mean the two boys that we were talking about. Like they've linked. Oh, they they've like you know been able to account that he was the person driving the car and that is him and we know all these other things, but they've never actually linked him to those. Yeah, essentially they've said like. This is who did it. We just need your help finding the evidence. So if anyone out there can help us prove it, please help us. And he was, I don't know, I guess they thought he was linked to many other attacks throughout Toronto as well. The only thing is many of them, the victim's clothes were left on site and he never left clothing behind. At most, the shoes because he had used the laces out of them. But he would always take the clothing, clothing, I'm assuming, to get rid of DNA. Or he stripped them down somewhere else and then just disposed of them nude. He is still in prison. But also, Dickie and Eric's families have no justice. Their cases have never fully been solved. So although they're not cold cases, in terms of how long they've been sitting open on a shelf with no resolution, they are cold cases. Yeah, they are. It sucks. It's horrible that we can't find any concrete evidence because there's so much evidence, but it's so circumstantial that the chances of being able to try him successfully are so low that we're like sitting ducks at this point, just waiting for that one piece of information to come in 
And again, no matter how small you think your detail might be, report it. It could be that one thing that leads to another thing that leads to another thing. And that could be what it needs. Anything. So there's never been a confession. There's no DNA evidence. And again, he has been uh, denied parole multiple times. He's not going to be getting out. Mm -hmm. It's... They've already said, like, you keep getting worse, so why would we let you back out? But, like, you've let him out three times, so I'm hopeful that he is now behind bars, and if he is truly the person that did this to these two guys and probably other people, that he's not going to get out again, but let's hope and pray, because he's, like, he's proven. Yeah. There was definitely more. I don't yeah, care oh, what sure. anybody says. He had to have had more victims. It seems like he couldn't keep his hands off of other people. Well, it's just, yeah. it was nonstop. The second he got out of prison, somebody else was getting hurt. Well, and think about how these two guys were found. Skeletal remains like six months later in some random field by a farmer. Think of how many farmers mm-hmm. don't like scour every corner of their humongous properties. True, or yeah, that how could have many been acres and acres and acres or animals, that he just by chance was out on. Yeah, animals, like wild yeah. animals that scavenge or find the remains and stuff. I mean, we can see the difference that long ago between how popular cases get or how because of technology advances and stuff. Like, the, the parents reported him, but it was 40 years until he was even identified. So, like, yeah, how many more victims are there that maybe weren't reported at all or you know their families they don't have as many siblings to be like oh yeah that's definitely my brother i don't know it's just crazy yeah it's there's so many loose ends to this Mm -hmm. that there's no justice for these families there's no peace of mind really it's just this big question mark nothing's really come of it and it's almost more frustrating that they have a name and a person and it's known and that they can't prove it because now he just has to potentially be in the same city or run into these people over time, right? While all this was going on. Yeah. Like, as soon as he was identified, he was in the same city. You could have run into him. Well, that was a crazy case, ma'am. He's 80 years old, so let's just hope he dies soon. Yeah, and I or mean, approximately let's, let's hope that our assumptions are correct. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and assume so. I feel pretty confident just based on the rest of it, but I feel confident. You always wonder if there's some other monster running around. Yeah, because pretty much the main wonder in my life all the time. Where's the monster? I just feel too, like with everything going on in the world lately and the fact that everything's getting like, you know, history repeats itself, like everything Mm -hmm. we see in scary movies and stuff. It's like, I just am worried there's going to be like this wave of like copycats that start to come out. Let's hope not. I don't know why. I just have this weird fear of it. Katie, let's not put that energy into the world, okay? We are not manifesting copycat killers. Stop it. Oops. Well, on that note, um, I did want to say thank you for listening if you've made it this far. But also, uh, you may have heard a um, podcast ad play in the middle of today's episode. And I just wanted to put it out there. If you're a podcaster, it doesn't have to be a true crime podcast. If you like our content and you are interested in doing an ad swap, send an email to us, 
podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. Um, we would love to start doing that more with other podcasters. And that's about it for me. Yeah. No, I think this was kind of after just like a really heavy month. This was just like a nice shorter episode it feels a little less heavy it's a little bit of a palate cleanser they're all horrible we've been talking about some really heavy and really relevant stuff and so here is a little palate cleanser of a cold case from 40 years ago to mix it up just a little regular scheduled program yeah we will be back to heavy scheduled programming next week (laughs) yeah maybe some like middleweight it might be a bit more middle but probably not ease in yeah no fair but thank you so much for listening and supporting us and if you do want to support us even further we do have a buy me a coffee account uh buymeacoffee.com slash podcast by proxy and we're going to use that for expanding our merch options we use that for basically just improving our podcast we would love to be able to upgrade our audio this year um katie's been working with some new editing software and there's lots of just little things that go into this beautiful podcast so if you are loving it and you want to support us you can do so there yeah i think you said it all have a great rest of your week yes happy tuesday y'all Woo. bye bye I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fuck me.